0: Thank you for listening to the Sermon Podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. Well, good morning, church. It is good to see you and to be with you this morning. If you're a first-time guest, I want to welcome you to our church. Uh, we are thankful to worship with you. We're thankful for Jesus. Amen. If you have your bibles i'd like to invite you to join me back in the book of hebrews we're going to be in hebrews chapter 4 as we continue in our series called incomparable as you're turning there i just want to remind us this morning of kind of the overarching theme to the book of hebrews there is a life freely offered by christ with christ that is better than anything you or I can find here in earth. It's better than anything that you or I could earn or accomplish or produce in ourselves because Christ is incomparable. And so last week we were uh, working our way through this book and we were in chapter three and we saw the author warn his readers about the sin of unbelief. And he pointed back to an example that they would have been familiar with from the Old Testament of the Israelites after God had led them out of Egypt and they were in the wilderness and God was marching them towards a a promised land, a land that was something that they did not deserve, something that they did not earn, but a gift that he was going to give them. And yet because of their unbelief, they did not get to enjoy that rest. And our passage this morning is going to begin with a transition word, therefore, which indicates and signals to us that the author is now going to offer a word of exhortation and light to what he had just written in chapter three. There are three things I'm hoping that we can see this morning as we direct our attention to God's word. The first is this, rest is available today. I don't know what your week has looked like the past month the past year, I don't know what the next year looks like for you on the horizon. But I think this message, this truth, this promise that rest is available today is something that how many of us need to hear. Rest is available today. The second thing that I'm hoping that we will see and consider this morning is that God can bear the weight of your trust. You can put all of your weight on him and he can actually bear it. He can hold you up no matter what it is that you feel like you are carrying. God can bear the weight of our trust. And number three, God's word will always reveal the path to this rest. And so that's where we're gonna direct our attention this morning. And I wanna invite you if you're able to stand with me in honor of God's word as we read the first 13 verses this morning of Hebrews chapter four and hear about God's rest. If you're ready to hear from the word of the Lord, say ready. 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 This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, since the promise to enter his rest remains, let us beware that none of you be found to have fallen short. For we also have received the good news just as they did, but the message they heard did not benefit them since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. For we who have believed entered the rest in keeping with what was, he has said. So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. Even though his works have been finished since the foundation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in this way. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his works. Again, in that passage, he says, they will never enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news did not enter because of disobedience, he again specifies a certain day, today. He specified this speaking through David after such a long time. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would have not have spoken later about another day. Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works just as God did from his. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes to him to whom we must give an account. Do you believe this is true? It is. You may be seated. Father God, as we come to you now, we ask for your guidance. We ask for your spirit to illuminate your word. God, we want to hear from you this morning. God, we want to hear what it is that you have specifically placed in this text for our hearts this morning, no matter where we come this morning, no matter from what we've been coming through and what we come from, to come to this morning and hear from your word. God, use your word to encourage our hearts, to stir our affections for you, and to challenge us, God to trust you more. We pray this in your son's name, amen. We've said over the the course of our study of the book of Hebrews that throughout this letter, there are five warnings. This letter was written to a group of people who had believed in Christ. They had believed in the gospel, the good news that Jesus wasn't just some ordinary man, he was the son of God. He had come to earth to offer himself as a living sacrifice to give his life on our behalf and he was put to death on a cross, was buried in a tomb and rose from, the grave three, rose from the grave three days later so that he could secure for us salvation, for his glory alone. That gospel message had been taken to the Jews but then out to the Gentiles that all who believed would receive this gift of salvation. And this letter of the Hebrews has been written to a people who had believed in that, but were starting to waver. And so this author pens this letter, writing to this group of Hebrew believers, encouraging them that Jesus is better than anything else that old system, that old way of thinking had to offer them. That Jesus was the fulfillment of what most of their scriptures had foretold, what most of their uh, prophets and leaders had pointed towards, that Jesus was the Messiah we've said that throughout this, then there are some warnings for us not heeding this truth. And among each of these warnings, there is a tone of urgency. These tones that we read as we read our text this morning, there's a tone in it that reminds me of a clarification I heard once about the difference between fighting with somebody and fighting for somebody. When we fight with somebody, we want to be right. But when we fight for someone, we want them to be okay. We want their best. The tone that I, that I continue to read this, this text from and I continue to read these warnings through is not this kind of reprimanding them, but it's this, this pleading with them that they would listen to what has already been spoken, what has already been done in Christ to listen to that gospel, to not forsake it, but to cling to it, to hold to it, to trust in it fully. Because there's a concern if we don't. It is possible that the external pressures of life, the internal pains of the heart, and the selfish desires of the flesh could lead you and I to doubt God and his word. It is possible that the things outside of us, the things that are happening in this broken world that impact us can become so great that we begin to question God's goodness, his truthfulness, his trustworthiness, the reliability of what he said. It is possible that some of the things that have happened inside of us because of sinful choices, because of the sin that is waging war against that new person, that tries to condemn us, that tries to tell us that we're not worthy of God's love, that we're we're beyond hope, we're beyond saving, that those internal pains could continue to get us to question, was Christ's death on the cross sufficient for even my sins? And it's possible that that ongoing temptation for those sinful bits that are inside that old man to keep coming up and tripping us up, it is possible for us to continue to slip up and to continue to, continue to maybe feel like we're taking one step forward and two steps back. And, and, and because we're just not seeming to make it that headway in our, in our faith that we want to, we begin to question, man, is this even possible? And as we begin to have those thoughts, the author's concern here is that we will slowly begin to drift away from God. And the warning that we saw back in chapter three was that, that we need to do everything we can to not allow ourselves to believe those doubts, to believe those lies, to begin to listen to the world, to listen to the sinful desires of the flesh to get our attention distracted from God's word to where we begin to develop what it calls an evil and unbelieving heart. And it uses this idea that that you and I, even as believers, because this letter is written to believers, he's urging believers, people who've already believed in Christ to not allow an evil, unbelieving heart to develop in them. Because unaddressed, if we just let those doubts to kind of linger, what happens is begin, our heart begins to become hardened. And so the concern for for this audience was as true as the concern that existed back in the Old Testament with those Israelites who chose not to believe God. And it is as true for us today as we live in a broken and fallen world where things aren't going the way that we would hope. It seems like the, the enemy and evil is winning the day. And yet we are, we, are, we are still here. He hasn't taken us to be with him. He hasn't rescued us from this world. He's left us here as his church. And he says, stay faithful, trust me, I have a plan. And nothing that's going on in your life, nothing that's going on around you, nothing that seems to be falling apart is impacting my plan. My word will remain. And so here's what the author knows. He knows that a believer who entertains doubt will forfeit God's rest. When those, those thoughts creep in and those temptations and those struggles start to get us to maybe question God, if we entertain that, if we let that to just hang around, even if we go, well, I don't believe that, but yeah, I'm still struggling with that. If we don't look to God's word and continue to stay faithful to him, it's going to prevent us from experiencing the rest that's talked about here. And so we have these warnings. And chapter four comes right after that warning, that's kind of some next steps where he's warning us about unbelief. And he's saying, so this is what you should do instead. And so he gives us some good news. And the good news is this, that the promise of yesterday remains the same today. The promise of yesterday, the promise that was made back then that if you will obey the Lord, if you will trust him, if you will follow his ways, you will enter his rest. That promise that he gave to those people all the way back in the wilderness still remains today. That's good news. Hasn't expired. He hasn't retracted that offer. He hasn't run out of it. It remains today. And our responsibility, the call, the charge, the plea of this text is for you and I to receive it. Note some of the urgency that we read here in our text this morning. It says in verse one, therefore, since the promise to enter his rest remains, let us beware that none of you be found to fall in short. That word beware there has this idea of fear. Let Let us make sure that we take this seriously. That we don't fall short, meaning that we obey God to a point, but then there are certain things in life, certain hardships, certain convictions, certain things that he's calling us to that go, God, I will trust you to this point, but I cannot trust you beyond that because I just don't trust you. I'm fearful of that. I don't think it can happen. Or God, I just don't want to go beyond this. I'm willing to give you this much of my life, but not all of it. He's saying that rest, that promise of the rest that God provides is available to you today. Make sure that you don't stop short of it. Make sure there's nothing in your life that you're saying, no, God, I'll give you all of this, but I'm gonna hold on to this. He goes on in verses six and seven. He says again, therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news did not enter because of disobedience, he again specifies a certain day, today. He specified this speaking through David after such a long time. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And then in verse 11, let us then make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. So four things I want to highlight today that he shows us on on this promise that the rest of God remains today and that God can handle the weight of our trust and that the word of God reveals the way to God's rest. The first thing is the promise. He promises rest. Last week we saw that rest is referring to a, a day, season or location where peaceful steadiness is resourced by God. Uh, sometimes when people read through the book of Hebrews and they, they're reading it and it sounds, it, it kind of almost sounds like he's, he's speaking as if, if you don't trust God, you will not receive salvation. But remember, this is being written to people who've already been saved. They've already placed their faith in Christ. So the rest here is not what we call salvific. That's just a fancy word for saying pertaining to salvation. No, it's pertaining to an inheritance that what God gives you as a, as a benefit, that now here I'm offering this to you because of your faith. And we would say, I believe, but I'm not receiving everything God has for me because I'm still kind of holding on to the old world or holding on to the old self. He says, I have so much, something so much better for you today, a rest that you're not gonna find here on earth, a rest that you're not gonna find in your bank account, a rest you're not gonna find in relationships, a rest you're not gonna find in retirement. It's a rest that only is found in me, a relationship with me, walking in me, trusting in me, putting all of your cares and concerns, the weight of everything that's going on in your life, putting it solely on me. And so for Israel, that rest was a land. His people were in Egypt. They were being just totally oppressed by Pharaoh. They they cried out to God, God heard them and God sends Moses to deliver them from Pharaoh. He leads them out of Egypt and he's leading them towards a land that they did not earn, that they did not have the might to to defeat the enemies that were in there and to claim for their own, but God was gonna go before them and God was going to give them this land, a land flowing with milk and honey, meaning it was full of every provision they would need. And in fact, God said, and not only that, I'm gonna go before you and I'm gonna fight your battles. Any enemy there, any, uh, any adversity, any opposition, you don't need to worry about how you're going to figure out how to, how to deal with that. I'm gonna take care of it for you. You will live with provision and protection in this land. And we know that they did not trust God to the point of entering into that land. They went all the way through the, the, the wilderness and then they stopped short. For us, the rest is is similar but different. I love what it says here in verse nine. It says, therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. Sometimes when we hear the word Sabbath, our mind goes back to the 10 Commandments about this, this day that we're supposed to honor the Lord, to rest from our work, to follow the model that we see in Christ. In Genesis, after he created everything, it says he rested. But remember that he rested on that day after he created all things. He rested, why? Because everything that he made, he, it was complete. He completed it, it was there. And now given to man to enjoy. And now it says that he's given us this invitation to enter into his rest. So Sabbath rest for us is just this idea that there is this complete ongoing rest that's sourced in Christ's finished work on the cross and resurrection from the dead. For you and I, he's saying, I have saved you from your sins. You, you did nothing to deserve this. You did nothing to earn it. By faith, I've forgiven your sins. I've placed my Holy Spirit inside you. And now what I want you to do is experience my rest. I don't want you to live a life now where you're trying to justify yourself by your works, to try to be a good person, to earn my favor. You don't need to do that. I've already accepted you because of your faith. I don't want you to live a life where you're burdened by self-reliance. And I think this is one of the greatest challenges for most Christians. I know it's a challenge for me, is that I I believe in Christ. I believe that my sins are forgiven. I believe that I'm gonna be with him forever once my physical life passes. And yet I can fall into these habits, where I'm then trying to secure in my own strength and in my own intellect and in my own relationships something of this world that I think is of value and I put that as a bigger priority in my life than Christ. And when I do that, all of those things that I'm seeking to find value in or seeking to find comfort in or seeking to find pleasure in or seeking to find security in, they just let me down. Christ is saying, I wanna give you rest from this burden of self-reliance because even if you were able to accomplish in your own means, your own intellect, your own strength, a good career or a family or a good retirement or influence in a community, you might be able to maybe garner some of that in your own strength, but you know what you inherit when you do that? The burden to maintain that moving forward. It never finishes. You never get to the point where like, I have enough money now. I have enough influence now. I'm settled now. The worry starts to creep in. Well, what happens if someone comes to try to, to take that from me? Or what happens if, if something happens that I can't control? And fear begins to invade our lives. See, the lie of self reliance is that you know what's better than you, then God knows what's for you, and that you should just go out and attain it for yourself. Number one, you cannot find the life that Christ offers. Only he can give you his rest. But number two, the life that you create, you can't maintain. And then you're caught in this constant cycle of feeling insignificant, not good enough. And those pressures and those pains begin to build. Can anybody relate to that? And see, God sees his church today and he sees our pains, he sees our peril. I think just like he heard the Israelites in Egypt calling out saying, we are being oppressed by this government. We're, being, we're not being treated fairly, Lord. Do you see? Do you care? And it says he hears and he sees those who are brokenhearted, those who are crushed, the oppressed. He cares for them. He sees us today. At the same time though, he sees us making those cries and yet not fully putting our trust in him. We are trying to also try to secure something for ourselves. We're trying to deal with it with our own strength. And he sees the brokenness. He sees the burden. He sees that we're weighed down. He sees that we're so discouraged because we're not making any difference. And he's saying, everything you need, all the rest that you're looking for has already been secured in me. Will Will you just come to me? Will you look to me? Will you cling to me? Will you trust me? And so he gives us this promise of rest, which is good news because the past doesn't define the present. Today, we can receive the promise if we will believe it. And so the path then to entering that rest is trust. In verse three, it says, for we who have believed entered the rest. That word here for believed in the Christian Standard Version, and some of your Bibles might be translated as trust, it comes from a word that that literally means to entrust oneself to. I've told the story before of growing up, I had this really pivotal moment in my life in seventh grade where a group of my friends invited me to go with them to a amusement park in Northern California called Great America. And on our trip to Great America, everyone was talking about this new roller coaster that they couldn't wait to get on. They were gonna, we were gonna get in the gates and we were gonna head straight to a roller coaster called Top Gun. I was terrified, but I didn't let them know it. Oh yeah, I can't wait to go on Top Gun. And so what do we do? We get in, we, we give them our tickets, we get into the park and we make a straight line to Top Gun and we get in line and we wait and we get on it. And now Top Gun is this roller coaster where there is a restraint that comes over you and this tiny little seatbelt that plugs into it. And then your feet dangle as the floor drops and you begin to make your ascent into the heavens. (laughs) I remember being terrified. My knuckles white as I'm gripping that restraint as tight as possible because I was under the naive assumption that it was me that was going to hold on to that roller coaster. Then I learned something. I learned that roller coasters can be incredible fun if you will just trust the restraint. In that moment, I I said a silly prayer. I said, Lord, I don't wanna die today. So I'm just going to trust you. And I released my grip and I just relaxed. And I began to go through this whole thing of of corkscrews and ups and downs and all these things. And I had an amazing time because when I released all the tension in my body that I thought I was gonna hold on, I was gonna save myself, I'm gonna make sure I get through this alive. I released it to the restraint and that restraint held me in and that actually let me enjoy what that ride was designed to be. I think the same is true for for when it comes to our trust in God. When I think about trusting God, When we think about this word believe, those who entered that rest believed God, meant that they didn't just believe intellectually, I have faith, but trust is taking that faith and then obeying God. It's that that merging of faith and obedience that is truly trust. I'm entrusting myself to God. I'm putting all my weight on him. I'm trusting that he is good enough, that he can get me through this life, that he's going to allow me to grow in him, that that there's going to be challenges, yes, but there's nothing that's gonna overtake me because I am in him and he is in me and the enjoyment of life, the, the, the fullness that I get to experience this rest is going to be completely determined upon, am I willing to trust him? Am I going through life trying to hold on? I gotta got make sure my kids end up okay. I gotta make sure that my income keeps growing. I gotta make sure that I get to have my rights and do my thing and I'm holding on and I feel like, okay, this is working, it's working. And how exhausting is that? There's no joy in that, there's no rest in that. We go to bed every night more exhausted than the next day because the entire day was spent on us trying to find rest ourselves. I love it how one commentator puts it. He says, our experience of rest is proportionate to our trusting in Him. If you're not experiencing God's rest, there's probably a trust issue. And you might be able to say, well, Pete, I believe in the Bible. I believe what God says. But what I'm here to tell you this morning is, and I can tell you from personal experience, you can believe God's word, but fail to obey it. And when we don't obey what God's word says, and we don't trust it completely, and trust him completely, and put everything on him and nothing else, rest is restricted. So the author knows this, and so he invites his readers to trust the Lord. It, it, today, promise still remains. Enter into that rest. But he also warns us of a pitfall. That same trick, that same thing, is, is that, stu- that, that thing that causes us to, to stumble, that thing that might cause us to not experience God rest is still a thorn in our flesh today. And that is the pitfall of disobedience. It says here that, that they did not receive this good news. They did not enter into the rest because of disobedience. Verse eight, therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news did not enter because of disobedience. Verse 11, let us make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. What does that mean? It just means simply a refusal to obey, to stop short of fully trusting God. If you wanna take some time this week, in Numbers chapter 13 and 14 in the Old Testament is where we read about God instructing Moses to send some scouts into this land that he is going to give them to, to look at it, to size it up, to see what God has, has given them. And so Moses selects a man from every tribe and he sends them in, 12 men. Many of you know the story. And they come back and two of the 12, a man named Caleb and a man named Joshua said, this land's amazing, let's go take it. But the other 10 said, we can't do it. What's incredible about that is that at the very beginning of chapter 13, the Lord already declares that He is giving it to them. It says, send men to scout the land of Canaan. I am giving to the Israelites. God has already said, this is theirs. I'm giving it to them. And he can say that because he's God. He's creator. It's all his. And he sends these men in there. And only only two of them come back and say, man, this land is amazing. And yeah, there are some obstacles in there. But if God, God is saying we can take it, let's go take it but the other 10 men come back with a report that's very different. And it was completely based on their human perspective. There are fortified cities in there. There are giants in the land. They are strong. We're not gonna be able to overcome them. And they begin to share that with the people. And it says in in chapter 14, that that leads the entire nation to begin to, to wail and complain and going, what did God do? Why would he bring us out here just to kill us? And it says this audacious statement, let's find another leader and let's go back to Egypt. Think about this. They had been oppressed. They'd been calling out to God. They had been been rescued by God. He'd already shown himself powerful enough to have Pharaoh release them, to divide the sea so they could walk across dry land. He had been leading them and providing for their physical needs with water and quail and manna. And he's leading them to a land and he says, We're here, this is the land I wanna give you. A land flowing with milk and honey and I'm gonna go in before you and I'm gonna take care of everything. We're here. And they go, nope, can't do it. Let's not for a moment sit in the chair this morning and think, well, I wouldn't be that foolish. Because what in our life today are we saying? I'm not sure God's really paying attention to this or that God can really help me overcome this or God I'm not sure he will ever provide this when time and time and time again for century and century and century and century recorded in his word and then the testimony of faithful saints he has proven himself to be faithful to his promises and he says trust me and how many times we're I like, okay, like you said to follow, you said to trust, and yet I, I'm not gonna go in there. I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna follow you into that because that's where I draw the line. Chuck Swindoll said it like this. Similarly, Christians, having been called from their own spiritual Egypt of slavery to sin, can find themselves wandering in the wilderness because they failed to trust God to deliver them all the way to the place of rest he established for them before the foundation of the world. The concern of the author here in chapter four is saying don't be like those Israelites who God had a plan for them, but they continued to wander and they did not experience what God wanted to give them because they would not put their full trust in him. Don't be the same. There are a couple of pitfalls that are identified here that lead to doubt. In that story back in Numbers chapter 14, there were two things that we see in the people. First was panic. A fear that arised in their hearts and in their minds when they viewed their circumstances from a purely human perspective. Is that ever the case for you? Where we look at the hardships in our life, we look at the circumstances around us, but if we're honest, we're we're only looking at it from what we can think and what we can see and what our experience tells us. And we're not considering what God's about, what God's thinking, what God's doing. When we focus on the world and the circumstances around us, just from a human perspective, panic will set in. Anxiousness that leads to discouragement. But then we see pride, the second pitfall. If you don't start to panic, you might double down on your pride. No, I know that what's best. Can you believe it? They said there are numbers. Let's, let's get another leader. No more to Moses, no more following God. Let's go back to Egypt. How ludicrous is that? And yet that's what the proud heart will do. It's blind, doesn't see its shortcomings. But whether it's panic or pride that begin to creep in and lead to disobedience, both will lead to frustration and discouragement and greater doubt, but it doesn't have to be this way. Psalm 128 verse one, it says, how happy is everyone who fears the Lord and walks in his ways. The reality is, is that God has already paved the way to rest. And he's pointed out the way, he's given us the roadmap in his word. And yet so many times in our life, we're struggling with our faith and we're struggling to grow and we're like, what is, why is this so hard? And the question is, are we walking on his path? Or are we trying to forge our own path? See, God has made his way plain. We need to walk in his ways. He says if we will follow his ways, he'll provide everything we need for that journey. And there's multiple places in scripture where he says his path is smooth, but if you take another path, it's full of treachery. There are no shortcuts or new path that will ever lead to God's rest. One theologian put it this way. If you go against the grain of the universe, if you go against the way that God created and designed and planned everything, you will get splinters. (laughs) And it's true, but yet so many times we're like, okay, God, you're saying I need to do this. This is what your word is clearly telling me to do. But what if I go this way? And we get in there like, man, I'm just struggling. Like, I'm just not getting to where God is telling me to go. And it's just hard. It's like, Are we following his path? Are we following his way? Are we fully relying on God? And so those are the pitfalls that still remain for you and I, the pitfall of disobedience, to not trust God. And in doing so, we can panic and set in or pride can double down, but neither of those will lead us to rest. And that's where we land on our protection, the word. I love what it says here in verse 12. For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Man, we've studied this verse before. I'm sure you've read this. Maybe many of you have memorized this verse. Such a great verse about the power of God's word, but think about it in its context here. How does this help us trust God more? I think the word of God exposes the true issues of our heart. And it also shows us how to address those issues and return to his rest. He's saying, don't let doubt slip in that causes unbelief. That rest that only God can provide through a relationship with him is still available to you today. Don't let anything get in the way of you putting your full trust in him and experiencing that rest. And so how do you ex- examine your own heart? How do you make sure that, that there's nothing in the way? Or, or maybe you can tell there's something in the way, but you don't know what it is. How do you diagnose your heart and what God wants to deal with so that you can experience his rest? It's by being in the word of God. 2 Timothy three sixteen, a verse that many of us have memorized says that all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. The Bible is able to teach us about the way the Bible is actually able to rebuke us to show us how we've gotten off the way for correcting, showing us how to get back on his way and then how to train us up, how to continue to stay consistently following him. The word of God does that for us, but it also gives us a context that fortifies our trust. You see rest today, It's going to be sandwiched in between an understanding of all of God's fulfilled promises and all the ones to come. You know, the people that are the most settled in the Lord today are the ones that look back and go, I'm settled today, even though life is hard because of, look at what my God has done in the past. I'd be a fool not to trust him today with everything. And because of what he's done in the past, look what he's gonna do for me in the future. It's already settled. It is finished were his words on the cross. There's nothing more. It's a Sabbath rest. It's complete, freely offered. I don't add anything to it. He's just asking me to enter into it. Now that's what it says here in verse 11. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest. It might seem like an oxymoron to give all my effort to enter into rest. But this is what I think he means. I remember sometimes when I was a dad and my kids were, were, were real little, there'd be times where, man, they were just so restless. You know, They were wrestling with us, kind of just doing what little kids do. They didn't know how to communicate, but they weren't happy and in and, and turn I wasn't happy and you know, I'm holding them and, I'm, and the reality was they were just tired, right? And how many times I'm like thinking in my adult brain going, this is so ridiculous that we're up right now because you're tired I'm tired, you want to go to sleep. I want you to go to sleep. I'm rocking you to help you with that and yet you're frustrated that you're not asleep. I think that, that, that is such a good picture for us as believers. I'm frustrated, things aren't going the way I want. I just want to have rest. Lord, would you give me rest? And he's like, I'm trying. I'm trying. Make every effort to enter that rest, I think means just saying, okay, I'm gonna stop, I'm gonna close my eyes, I'm gonna lean into you, and I'm gonna enjoy that rest that's only found in you because the rest that you and I crave is available. We know that beautiful passage in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29, where we have this invitation from Jesus to experience his rest. says here, come to me all of you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. The the hope of this morning is for us to see what he's trying to get across here. He's like, I'm warning you, don't fall into the trap of unbelief. Don't get to the point in your life where God is saying, I have this in store for you. And you go, I I just don't trust you, Lord. I'm not willing to receive that because it just looks too hard from my perspective. There's just too many things it's gonna ask of me. There's too much there that could harm me. And we're totally not seeing that. He's already taking care of it for us. And he's saying, you can still have that rest today if you will choose to trust him. And so the the takeaways this morning are this, God's rest remains for you today. God can handle the weight of your trust. When you say, I'm gonna put everything on you, God, even the things I think, man, no one else in my life, not even myself can carry this, but I'm gonna put it on you. And he's like, got it. and know that his word will reveal what it is that's getting in the way of me fully trusting him. Will you you allow the word of God to expose that and then show you how to deal with it in a way that you can then settle into his arms and experience that rest? This morning we're going to take communion to conclude our our message. I'm gonna invite AJ and the worship team up here. But I just love it when, when the text we're studying just sets up the moment for us to prepare our hearts for communion. If you didn't get a chance to grab one of these as you come in, if you just uh, slip your hand up, uh, our ushers are in the room, they'll come and give you one very discreetly. The word of God instructs us to do this often, to, to come around and to remember what Christ did for us by giving his body a physical sacrifice on our behalf to pay the penalty of our sin and to give his life for us and to shed his blood for us. And we're to do this because we're forgetful people and we are to do this to help us remember something. The fact that he is coming again but like I mentioned a few minutes ago, the, the reality is this, our rest today, the ability for us to live a settled life, a life that's full of joy, not anxiety, settled confidence is a result of a life that's plainly in the context of God's fulfilled promises and his future promises. In the Lord's supper, is a great opportunity to help us do that because it points us back to what Christ did on the cross, giving his body and shedding his blood, but also points us ahead. Remember that he is coming back for us and we will be with him. And knowing that builds our trust today. We're gonna ask AJ to uh, lead us in some, some words of reflection, some music here, and then we'll come and we'll take these elements together. But the word of God instructs us to not approach this flippantly, to not just come and go through the motions as a habit or out of instinct, but to consider what Christ has done for us. Uh, this is something that the Lord instructs believers to do. And so if you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, uh, there is absolutely no judgment on you this morning, but I would just encourage you to just observe, uh, because this is this is for those who have placed their faith in Christ. But perhaps the Lord right now is stirring in your heart a desire to go, I. I I've been searching for rest. I'm not finding it anywhere else and I don't know where else to look. And I wanna say that rest starts with that faith in Christ. And so perhaps as you watch the church take these elements this morning, and remember what Christ has done for us, maybe you would consider this morning saying, I want that rest. I'm gonna put my trust in Christ alone and I'm gonna enter in to his rest. If that's you this morning, We'd love to pray with you here in a few minutes. Let's prepare ourselves now to take the cup and remember what Christ has done on our behalf.
1: And just as Pastor Pete was saying, we're gonna give you just a few moments here um, to take anything that the Lord um, that, um, that you might need to talk with him about. Uh, we don't want anything between you and him in this moment. And so we'll take a moment here.
0: you to prepare the elements by starting with the side that has the wafer. The Apostle Paul writes of the events of the night of the Last Supper, where the Lord instituted this for his followers. And it says in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We'll prepare the cup. Paul goes on to write, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of of me the final statement here Paul writes as far as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes let's pray Father God we just we're so thankful for your faithfulness you were faithful to The Israelites, you've been faithful to your church and you will remain faithful because that's who you are. You invite us into a life with you. Imperfection is not the standard, Lord. Faith is. And yet, God, there are many things in our life, many circumstances that are undoubtedly very, very hard that challenge our faith, that cause us to question, where are you? God, I pray that instead of inspecting the world around us for the answers to that question, that we would turn our attention to the living word of God that is living and active, that can give us the answers to the questions we have, that can provide rest for our souls. And in the midst of the struggle, know that you have us in your righteous right hand. God, help us to trust you more, to believe you among the noise. We pray this in your son's name, amen.